0: And about well over 85% of that money comes directly from the giving of members of this church and then the tax we can claim back on that. I mean, I'm just blown away by that every time I think about it every year. And so we want to give enormous thanks to God because actually every single year we have been able to meet our outgoings, even at times when we have wondered how on earth we're going to do it. There have been years when we've needed to increase our giving by 40%. I remember that when I first came and it went up. I remember we've had years sometimes when it's been 2% and it's gone up by 2%. Last year we needed to increase in our giving by 12%. It got a bit hairy early on and mid-year. I remember we were about 2 or 3% and uh, David looked at me in that Warris David look. And we did for the first time come back to the church mid-year and say, can we just ask people to just have a little look at their giving? Just check that they sort of feel they're on track. Uh, but amazingly, by the end of the year... Uh, we'd reached that 12% increase that we needed and it is extraordinary isn't it and so we want to give thanks to God but also I want to give thanks to you because uh, it's about you being willing to be involved in what God's doing here even stuff you don't see or doesn't affect you directly that commitment I know some of us don't live locally in the village and yet you commit to stuff that goes on here and that means an awful lot so thank you at, there are some good things as well. That TC, the, the community centre has been paying itself really well, and that's been great. We must be careful because we can't always rely. We can't just presume it. So we've just got to keep uh, uh, working hard at that. But that's really, really good. I mean, the overall uh, sort of uh, take-home from this year is that we need to increase our giving by a kind of two-three percent in that kind of region. Now, what I just want to say is this. That is for the stuff we can absolutely see. But do you remember Donald Rumsfeld had this wonderful phrase where he talks about the kind of known unknowns and the unknown knowns and the known... Do you remember that? Some of you remember that. Well, we have some known unknowns... That is, uh, we have an inspection every five years of this building, uh, which is an old building, and that inspection tells us what work needs to be done over the next five years, what's urgent, what can wait a bit longer, and what can wait perhaps five years before it's done. We, have, we are waiting for that report to come, so we do not know how much it's going to cost us to do the ongoing repairs. You will be aware, if you've been here sometimes early in the morning, that we have some leaks in our roof. We don't believe it's a take-the-roof-off-and-put-a-new-one-on job. Otherwise, I'm out of here. <laughs> no, we're <not. laughs> no, we're not. No, we're not. But, um, so there will be stuff to do. As there is, it's an old building. And we've been, we're stewards of it for the time that we're here, and it will get passed on to others after us. So um, we don't know what that will be. Some of that could come out of our building reserves, but we may need a bit more. Also, there are other things we've kind of had on our wish list for a while, which we've not been able to do, and I'm not going to write I want to just say one thing, especially for those of you who perhaps are not brought up in an Anglican way of thinking, which is a very strange way of thinking, which is that we do... The way the Church of England works is that we put money into a central pot out of which clergy are paid. So we put money into the central pot... Uh, but you will notice that we put in over twice what it, the amount that is needed to pay for me. I, it doesn't cost over 100 grand to pay for me. <laughs> you will be pleased to hear. <laughs> um, what it means is that those of us who are better off, not just socioeconomically, but we are you know, one of the biggest churches in the diocese numerically. And uh, part of our role is that we support those who are in less able situations. So I just thought of one example locally, take Prizewood Estates. You've got Debbie Turley who works at the uh, vicarage up there, uh, does brilliant work. Debbie is just a star and she's been there one year doing amazing work on Prizewood. There is no way that that small church on the Prizewood Estate could pay the full amount for it to have a vicar there. And so what we do is we put more in the pot so that people like Debbie and do the ministry there because we're investing in the kingdom. We're not just investing in our kind of local projects that we kind of like. That's the way it works. We're not congregational in that sense. We kind of uh, buy into the bigger vision of uh, having clergy and people working in parishes around the country. Does that make some sense perhaps why it is we put a lot of money into the pot? And actually the diocese has been very good to us over the years and we have uh, tapped into the Fund for Church Growth and every time we've asked, they've been really generous at giving to us. And uh, so it's very easy to of point up at the diocesan and go, but actually they work really hard for us. And I have to say that because Imogen's here and Imogen works in the finance department in the diocese. But I think those of you who heard me here before Imogen ever joined the church, I do say this anyway, Imogen. But if you'd like to go and tell the bishop, that'd be great. <laughs> Everything I've said I mean. But does that all make sense to people? So uh, that's the finances, so we're not embarrassed, that's the way it is, so please read it, have a look at it, and then perhaps in the light of what I talk about in a minute, then we make our pledges. There won't be an official pledge Sunday, we've worked out most people don't bring it on that Sunday anyway, so just whenever you've filled in your form, please can you uh, pop it, there is a box over there, or stick it through the door at uh, the um, community centre. But do try and remember to do it, even if you're going to give the same, you may need to give less. Maybe your circumstances have changed. That's fine. Or maybe you can give more. And it isn't just money, of course, uh, as I'll say later, it isn't just our money. And also, it isn't just giving to this church. You know, you may give to other kingdom-related activities, and that's fine too. So please don't hear me just saying, got to give to the church. Uh, it's, uh, we're gonna be, it's wider than that. It's about giving to God's kingdom.
1: My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen is young and inexperienced. The task is great, because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for the holy temple. Three thousand talents, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave towards the work on the temple of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 daricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Any who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gushenite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: It would be great if you can have that passage open in front of you. Father, please would you open our eyes once again that we might behold wonderful things in your words. Father, we need you then to motivate our wills so that we might respond just as the people of God responded then, joyfully and willingly. Amen. This week, eventually, someone came forward with the other winning lottery ticket for £33 million. I wonder how many of you just for a moment just stopped and thought. How might that feel? How might life change? What might I do with the money? Maybe you begin to dream of what a future life just might begin to look like. Well, the people of God here have got a lot of money. In fact, it's treasure, really, isn't it? The amounts that we read here are mind-blowing. If you go down to the, uh, um, the uh, footnotes, you'll see that all of those kind of uh, units we don't understand are translated into tons. And what you see is there is tons and tons of precious metal as well as uh, precious jewels, as well as all the more sort of basic things like wood. Uh, but uh, stuff is of the highest quality. And the big question the people of God will always be faced with is what to do with it. And David comes to the people to ask them to give to this amazing project of the temple. The question is, how does he go about asking? How is he going to motivate people to give to the temple project? Well, David knew that when it comes to motivation to giving, you need to have two things. The first is this, a vision that is higher and beyond money. A vision that is higher and beyond money. And secondly, a value that is deeper and more significant than money. Firstly, a vision that is higher and beyond anything to do with money itself. Many of us, no doubt, have a vision of what we would love to do with our money for the future. Maybe some of you who are not retired are making plans already in your mind about what kind of lifestyle you would like when you've retired. You're investing money in order for that lifestyle, perhaps investing in a house that you'd love to live in for your retirement. Or maybe you're investing in your children or your grandchildren because you have a vision of what kind of life you would like them to have. And those things are important. We're in the process personally of buying a flat because we have nowhere to live when we finish being ordained. There's no house that goes with it. I live in a house that's given to me and so suddenly there'll be nowhere to live. So we're having to now plan for somewhere to live when we retire and that's 18 years off so we need to start getting on with it now. We're having to plan financially for our children. Not least, Becca's going off to university this year. We've got to begin to plan how on earth are we going to get her through university. And oh my goodness, there's another one coming up two years behind. Some of you are going through that now. And those are important things to be planning for and to be thinking about. And the people of David's day had personal pressing financial needs. The details would have been different, but the need and concerns were just as real. But David had a vision. And he had a motivation and a direction that had been with him since he was a young man. And when he became king, he still had that burning passion and vision in his heart. And he said, in effect, I won't give myself rest on my bed until God's ark. Do you remember? Not ark as in Noah. Ark as in an ornate chest in which uh, were the uh, two tablets of the Ten Commandments. They were a symbol of God's relationship with his people. They, they pictured, in its sense, God living at the heart of his people. It was symbolic of God and his people living together. Do you remember, you will be my God, and I, no, I will be your God, and you will be my people, that we thought about last week. And David said, I won't rest until that ark is back at the heart of God's people, back in the land, back in Jerusalem, and in a temple, a place worthy of the worship of God. You see, up till then, the ark had been neglected. It was far away. So he sets out to bring the ark back to Jerusalem and after an abortive attempt, manages it. But David won't rest until that God's symbolic presence is in a proper temple rather than a neglected tent. I mean, after all, says David, I live in a wonderful palace. How can God have anything less than I have? But God steps in, if you know the story, and says to David, that is great that it's on your heart, but it won't be you that builds it. It will be your son. Solomon. But David is unperturbed and says, that's fine, but I'm going to make sure that I've laid up all the materials and resources that are needed for Solomon to complete it. So back in 1 Chronicles 22, you read, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendour in the sight of all the nations. You see, he has a vision a vision of a temple, a vision of something that declares to the world the magnificence and fame and splendour of God. And so here is David in chapter 29, towards the end of his life, giving his kind of last orders. He wants the people to involve themselves in in fulfilling that amazing vision that he has. But how is he going to motivate them? Well, he could have used the sheer power of his charisma and, in fact, their indebtedness to him. He had been an amazing king, an amazing leader. He could have asked them to give it out of love for him. Or as king, he could have imposed a tax. He could have forced them to provide the resources out of duty. He could have played on their self-interest. You know, if you give to God, then God will bless you. Just think what's in it for you. He could have appealed to their national pride. You see, all the other nations around provide the amazing temples for their gods. And in one sense, Israel was being shown up. Shame on you, David could have said. Shame on you and shame them into giving. He could have appealed to all those motivations. But actually, he doesn't want people to give grudgingly. He doesn't want people to give out of duty. He doesn't want people to give because they're made to. He doesn't want people to give because the collection bag is coming down the aisle and they're going to feel very embarrassed if they don't give like the person just one row behind them gave. He doesn't want them to give out of guilt. He wants them to give out of gratitude that is sparked by a vision of the greatness of God and a passion to glorify God. So in verse 1 we read, this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. Verse 9, they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. They hadn't given to David, they hadn't given to the temple project, they had given to the Lord. And we find in the great prayer that comes a little later on in verse 11, yours Lord is the greatness, the power, glory, splendour and majesty. In the end, that is what motivates them to give a vision of God, a vision of His glory, a vision of His kingdom being demonstrated and glorified and shown to the world around. And their desire to invest themselves in that vision, to to do all they can to bring glory to God visibly. And it makes us step back and ask, doesn't it? What is our vision? for what we're doing with our money? What is it that fills your heart? What gives you passion that you long to see, that you want to invest yourself in? There is a disease at the heart of Western humanity, and there is a danger that this disease is also at the heart of Western Christianity, and it is that word consumerism. Consumerism has crept into churches in the West enormously, We become consumers when we come to church. That is, we want certain things that we want. We want things done in the way we want it done. And therefore, if it doesn't suit me or fit my needs, well, then I'll go somewhere else that suits me or fits my needs. We become consumers. And also there's a danger that there is some research in America that says that the way people give in churches is becoming the same. There is a sense in which we give for services rendered. I'm giving and I expect certain things back in return. We're almost paying for the services provided. Now, listen up. It is absolutely right that as a church, you hold the PCC to account for the way that money is spent in this church. The annual meeting is the key moment when you get to hold the church council and the leaders of this church to account for the way that the money given is spent. And that is absolutely right. Because we have been given a responsibility to be good stewards of that money. So please don't hear me say that you shouldn't do that. But stewardship isn't payment for services rendered. Stewardship starts with that sense, as David speaks about later in verse 12, that God owns it all anyway. All things come from you, and of your own have we given you. We used to always say in churches when I was growing up. God is so good to me and wonderfully generous to me that I long for nothing more than to invest myself in his kingdom. I want to do what God is doing in the world. I want to join him in a bigger vision. I want to honour God properly and what better way to show it than with the things that matter to me most? My personal resources, my time, my energy, my money. Godly giving has an overwhelming vision of the greatness of God the greatness of his kingdom, and the deepest desire to invest ourselves in his kingdom project. Now, of course, today it is a different vision. Then it was about a physical, which is a spiritual temple, that is, a people. His kingdom is no longer geographic. You don't go to the kingdom, you find God's kingdom wherever people submit themselves to the king. The kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. The temple is a spiritual building made up of people giving themselves to Christ. And yet the truth still remains that it is through the temple that God's glory is declared to the world around. Therefore, how is God gloried today? Through us. How does God's name proclaimed in this world? Through us. How is God's fame and magnificence and splendour declared to this world? Through us. Now that's scary, isn't it? But God doesn't have another plan. We can't just say, well, let's leave it to those old buildings and we go, oh, wow. Because they will go, oh, wow," well, but it won't lead them directly to Christ. It won't be where they see God in action. They see God in action in us and through us, his church. And therefore, we are investing in what God is doing here. And that's why the last two weeks we've been talking about our vision. And I hope you've grasped it. And I hope if you've not been around, then uh, you'll begin to read the stuff and download the podcasts and listen so that you're part of where this church is going over this year. That at the heart of God's plan, as we saw in Jeremiah, is that men and women and children might be reconciled to him through knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've said there are four elements. This is where you need to start getting worried, everybody. Eight o'clock, no one remembered any of these. I told you last week, I'll be testing you. Only excuses if you weren't here last week and you've been so ill all week that you haven't been able to listen to any podcasts or read any bits of paper. So what are the four elements of our vision for this year? The first one is numerical growth. The second, they're all two-word two phrases, numerical growth. Second one, joyful worship. Third one, strong community. Fourth one, devoted leadership. Oh, much, much better on 8 o'clock. but still, You still need to learn it because we need to know that in and out. Now, they're just little phrases, but they they were a part of that vision that Jeremiah had of God's kingdom, of more and more people being added to it, of people in his kingdom so grateful to God, so seeing God at work, that they couldn't help but declare it. They weren't a grumpy church, they were a joyful church. And a strong community. And I said, we're going to have to work hard, aren't we? And not least because we are sat so far away from each other. Look at us. Because the children go out and suddenly all the space is there. We have to work incredibly hard at this service to build strong community. Because a whole load of us have gone off to other services. We're going to have to work really hard at that. And that takes all of us to be committed to get involved with each other. And devoted leadership because if we're gonna grow, if those 280 people, we get each one of us is gonna have a conversation, remember last week? 280 of us all have one conversation that might lead to one person coming to an event at Troll, we're gonna need lots more leadership, structured in a different way. And so we're asking you is that a vision you want to invest in? To invest your lives in, to invest your money in? We've gotta have a vision that is bigger and beyond my money. But secondly, and nowhere near as longly, a value deeper and more significant than money. Jesus spoke about money a lot. He said it's easy for money to take on a dangerous significance in our lives. He says you cannot serve God and mammon. That is, money can easily become or take on the status of an idol or a god in our lives, that it has ultimate value in our lives, Because when money becomes an idol, money will compete with God. That's when you know it's become an idol, when it competes with God. David is saying here that the task is great, but it is all about what I think about God. What value does he and his kingdom project have in my life? Money, says David here, is a tool. It's a tool that I can use to accomplish this great task. But more than that, money is also a testimony. You see, I can give testimony about how great God is with my lips, but what I do with my money will tell me much more about the value that I place upon God and his kingdom work. Our bank statements will tell us the value we place on God's kingdom work today. Where we invest our resources tells us what is most valuable to us. Do we invest more in our mobile phone contracts each year, or our TV subscription each year, or our gym membership each year, or whatever it is. I don't say this to blow my own trumpet, I honestly don't, but I found it quite heartening when we applied for a mortgage that the bloke at the mortgage company came back and said, are you sure you want to be giving all that away? (laughs) Suddenly discovered, my goodness, it's one of the biggest outgoings we've got. And then I could feel myself going, oh, it's too much, too much, and then going, no, no. This is what it's all about. This is what we're investing in. Because all the other stuff is not eternal. My house will one day crumble. Uh, My car will one day give up. One day I'll be too old to go on those sunny holidays. But I want to invest in eternity. Because that is God's kingdom project. Someone was once involved in coaching people doing the high jump about how to get over a high bar. And this is what they said. Throw your heart over the bar and the rest of you will follow. Throw your heart over the bar and the rest of you will follow. That is, what's your passion? What's your heart? What do you value? What do you care most about? If you've launched that, then the rest of you will come running afterwards. Your giving and your time and all of that. Is our heart totally for God, for his kingdom? Well, if it is, then the rest of our life, our giving, our time, our money, our care, our compassion, even when life is very, very pressured, as it is for many of you here I know now, it is time pressured, it is money pressured. I know that and I fully understand that and we experience exactly the same. But in the end, we have to ask, what do we value most? What is our bigger vision? And then start to redirect things in that way. And what is the key here, I find, is the response to the people. It tells us so much about their hearts. Verse, 10, verse 5, David says, who's willing? Who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? And that word willing means volunteer. It comes up nine times the same word. It's actually translated slightly differently. You get generous and things like that, but actually it's the same word, willing. And the volunteer word there has a sense of rushing to the front. You know what it's like, especially in churches when we get older, Uh, uh, Can anyone volunteer to help with, and we all stand in a line, or we take a step back in the hope that someone else will remain at the front. Okay, Ours is generally a kind of, oh. Well, let me tell you what it's like when you go to school. In fact, you saw it earlier in here. When I go to school and Sam goes to school, and we do a primary school assembly, and you ask after a couple of minutes, I need two volunteers, I can tell you, I can guarantee you, every single hand goes up. No matter how young or older, every single hand goes up. In fact, to the point now, and I don't know if Sam gets this, where I generally, before the assembly starts, I have a queue of people, generally year six boys, saying, oh, 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 please, please, can you pick me? Please, can you pick me? Please, can you pick me? That is how that word is translated. It is, me, 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 let me do it, let me do it. That is the kind of giving that's being talked about here. And do you remember in the New Testament, the Macedonian church who were struggling because of suffering, and struggling because they were so poor, and we're told they pleaded for an opportunity to give to the church that was struggling over in Jerusalem. The Macedonian church were like primarily nine times. Verse 6, they gave willingly. Verse 9, they rejoiced at the willing response that they gave freely. Again, it's the same word, willing. Verse 14, they gave generously. Again, it's the willing word. Verse 17, all these things I've given willingly. It is not the amount that matters. Sam is absolutely right. We do not teach tithing in this church. And the reason we don't teach it is because it is not biblical. It is Old Testament, but it is not New Testament. The New Testament does not tell us how much to give. It tells us how to give. It talks about willingly, delightfully, with generous hearts, deciding with God what we're going to give. There is no rule, it is about grace, it is about the hearts. For some of us that could be 10%, 2%, it could be 60%, who knows? The key is that we sit down with God. And that is why the woman that Sam was referring to earlier, in a sense, was behind the story that she told with her children, was a little lady who gave a couple of pennies. But God said she will be remembered forever for her generosity. Didn't matter how much it was. But the heart said, I give everything to you, God. The last two weeks, I hope you have seen a vision of what God is going to do here that excites you. And so I ask you, will you invest yourselves along with me, investing your money and your time and your energy in that vision? And will you do it joyfully and delightfully and willingly and wholeheartedly? Amen.